everybody. Welcome to another episode of All the WrestleManias, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. We're always excited to be in the studio with you, but we're extra excited today. We've got a very special guest uh, continuing our series, uh, talking to scholars who work on and write about and just have really interesting things to say about our, our favorite pastime of pro wrestling. And today is no different, so we're super excited to welcome to the show Dr. Mark Willett. Now, um, Mark is an associate professor of English at Old Dominion University, where I also happen to work. He's been here at ODU since 2015 and has uh, spent a number of years uh, in higher ed. Previously, he spent about 13 years uh, at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. He holds his master's in English and his PhD in cultural studies, both from McMaster University, where his dissertation was entitled, Hey, Look Me Over, Revisioning and Reproducing Contemporary Masculinities. I like the Prince reference there. Good stuff. Um, Dr. Willett teaches undergraduate and graduate courses in digital media, gender studies, and cultural studies at ODU. Um, his primary research areas are gender and contemporary popular culture, digital games, AI, VR, and digital media. He's written about pro wrestling specifically uh, in an article entitled, If You Want to Be the Man, You've Got to Beat the Man. Of course, we all know who that's referring Woo! to. <laughs> Masculinity and the Rise of Professional Wrestling in the 1990s. That was in the journal Dialogue, the Interdisciplinary Journal of Popular Culture and Pedagogy back in 2016. That's a good read, and we'll talk a little bit about it on the show today. Uh, his most recent book is called Playing with the Guys, Masculinity and Relationships in Video Games, published by McFarlane in 2021. That is, quote, a tour de force fusion of gender studies, game studies, and critical theory. Hot damn. Uh, most of most recently, and most importantly for our purposes here, uh, he served as a panelist for the ODU Libraries and the Virginia Championship Wrestling Collaboration uh, back at the beginning of June called Beyond the Mat, Behind the Curtain. It was held here at ODU. Mark was one of five panelists, including VCW Director of Operations Jerry Stefanitsis, who's going to be on the show here in a couple weeks, uh, VC talent, VCW talent coordinator Jonathan The Reason Elliott, uh, VCW wrestler and friend of the show who's been on the program, Mr. Excellence Brandon Scott, uh, and another ODU associate professor, Dr. Miles McNutt. Um, it, was a, it was a fascinating event, really, really great discussion. I was so glad that uh, Mark and the rest of the guys could join us. So that was a really long-winded introduction, but um, welcome to the show, Dr. Mark Willett. Thank you. It it's fabulous to be here and one of my um basically metrics for for anything is do they ask me back um because i i can empty a room pretty fast so so it's it's really a treat to be back thank you <laughs> yeah it's great um so obviously i was i had the pleasure of facilitating the panel back at the beginning of june but rich came in from out of town he got to see it um rich what did you think of the of the panel at ODU and Mark and the other guys? So the short answer is it was incredible, honestly. Uh, these days, it's very hard for me not to be looking at my phone and like fully paying attention to something that's happening. And I was completely riveted and sucked in and I, I couldn't break away, honestly. Um, just because, one, it's, it's a topic that fascinates fascinates me endlessly is just where wrestling really fits in pop culture uh why is it revered and then also hated at the same time frequently by the same people uh and uh, i felt that uh the mixing of uh professors plus actual wrestling 
people uh, was an excellent combo. As as you know, like I'm fascinated just by anything that's like makes it interdisciplinary with professional wrestling. That's why like I I'm fascinated by wrestling theme songs and the use of classical music in wrestling. And this was right up there with it. Just like where does wrestling fit in pop culture and uh, all that good stuff? And so I was. I was hooked pretty much the moment it started, and especially when the number of times you said "carny" during during the uh, <laughs> event was great. I, you know, I really I tried to lean into that one, that one in in high art. I think I tried to. I had a yeah. little uh, one of those little baseball counters in my pocket. I was hitting the the buttons for those. So Mark, so Mark, thanks for uh, being part of that panel, and uh, it was also a lot of fun to have you and your your lovely family, of course, come along to the VCW show. So did you um, did you enjoy the the panel discussion as well? I enjoyed all of it. It was it was fabulous. It was uh, it was a real treat, and it's it's also nice to get out on a Friday night when you've got kids, um, and and for the kids, the kids were sort of. Uh, um, mystified a little bit by it at first, and they were um, also, why would anyone want to listen to our dad? That was the other thing. There was obviously that. <clears throat> well, it's good to check your ego every now and then, you know. So, um, and actually, I really enjoyed actually just watching your kids watching the wrestling. Like that was, yeah, as almost as entertaining to me as the actual uh, event because watching them come in, they clear they were clearly skeptical. Um, and then, but they were open to it, and I think that's that's probably uh, credit to your your parenting style, maybe. But I I don't know they they were digging it, especially your son. He was by the end he was he was amped. He was, and he was chirping, and and he realized that um, um, being a Canadian with a strong hockey background, that chirps are like a an extra language for us. Um, so so when he realized it was a, a space where he could chirp within reason, that was that was that was fun because. Um, it's it's a lot of um, it's it's a big part of the game, right? It, it, any game is is your chirping, your trash talking, and that sort of thing. And and he, and he's come a long way. He's he's very literal. So there was a moment when he thought when there was a squash, he thought the guy was actually hurt. He was like, "Why are they taking so long to help that guy?" And it was like, "No, no, no. This is this is a work. This is this is part of the part of the plan." And and so it took him a little while. He's he's a little bit literal. Whereas the the fifteen year old, um, she she was. Uh, she was in on it right right away because there was there was the opportunity to um um trash talk and and refer to uh one of the tag teams as the twinks uh, i believe she called them and her words not mine and uh, i don't know where she gets that I, I don't know where she learns things like this and then um and she also was able to cheer for the bad guys so she thought she thought papa don was awesome she she really enjoyed his whole persona because because it was so over the top and and it was it was it's sometimes it's fun to cheer for the bad guy too yeah i would argue he was the best heel in the program oh yeah 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 Although it was it was um, fun when um, uh, Logan Larue looked me dead in the eye in the afternoon match, and I had my four horseman shirt, and he's shaking his head, and I went like this, and he goes, "No," and then I I, I wiped it like this, and and so it was um, that was good. That was I mean that was really really good. He he plays the heel very well. He's he's yeah. he's he's his work rate is is really quite good. I was I was impressed with him just watching the videos and and Brandon Scott as well. Their their work rate is really good. They're they're you know the what they call them now in, enhancement talent, right? And um uh in some cases and then the way that 
you make the other guy better and that was pretty obvious so that was that was a treat for me yeah they're definitely they're definitely both like super talented um and uh we so we we did get a chance to talk to brandon on here i'd really like to get logan on here i think he'd be a lot of fun to talk to i like his whole um his introduction that he comes from a gated community inside a gated community inside <laughs> yeah. a gated community i, I love it in and great falls uh, <laughs> In Great Falls, Virginia, yeah. <laughs> One of the tonier neighborhoods outside of uh, D.C. Um, it's no Potomac, though. It's not as nice as Potomac. Anyway, um, was, was that your first local show here in Virginia? Was that? Um... It, it was, yeah. That was okay. my first one here, yeah. I hadn't seen wrestling since we, since we moved, and, and I remember seeing um, wrestling uh, sort of local um, shows back back in in burlington ontario there was a burgeoning wrestling scene in burlington hamilton and then obviously there were there were always shows in toronto you could go see and the last actual thing that i remember seeing was uh, a uh, a play at buddies in bad times theater about uh sort of loosely based on historical fact and it was called um body slam and it was uh buddies in bad times is the uh, the theater the community theater basically in the gay village in toronto and so it's sort of an activist theater as well. And so this was a, a love story between the wrestlers uh, as a uh, as a play. And so they had actual wrestling um, bumps. They, they were taking bumps. They had a ring in the theater, uh, and and that was that was one of the last things I saw. It was uh, it was ter- terrific, terrific to to see that. That's awesome. I think there's actually a play right now. I don't know if it's a musical or what. Rich, do you know what I'm talking about? There's one like right uh, now that's going on. Yeah, Brandon um, Scott was actually in it. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, um, I can't remember what it was called. It was like The Last Match or something like that. Um, it looked yeah. the, the photos, and I found the website. It looked fascinating. So did you grow up in, in Hamilton, or were you from somewhere else in Canada? With- um, yeah, my family's from the Windsor, Ontario area. Um, in southwestern Ontario, so we grew up across the river from Detroit, um, and and um, so Willette is actually the. Um, some people argue, but it's the main street in Windsor is Willette Avenue. So that's why the I have a picture of Willette Place, and then there's another picture I use on, on my materials. There's actually a tower, a building there that says, says Willette Towers. So, so there's a picture of me in front of it. I think it's pretty appropriate, nice. um, and and so that's that's where I'm from. That's home, and then moved away from 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 there to go to school so it was uh you know three hours up the road to waterloo and then uh, mcmaster is just outside uh, toronto about 45 minutes from toronto and then by train and then um we lived in we lived in one in a toronto suburb for years and years and years and years so shell and i've been married 30 years so she's she's put up with my wrestling habit for for like 30 years and she's she's supported it um the rick flair doll that is in on the shelf in my office uh, i was a christmas present and uh what was your first exposure to pro wrestling were you like into the the what was it the dino bravo's uh territory up in there yeah, Dino Bravo was one of the guys who came in. The territory actually was uh, for for a long time run by George Cannon, aka mm. George MacArthur or Crybaby MacArthur, um, and he was a big guy. Um, and uh, there, that was the one that was in Windsor, and it used to tape at the University of Windsor Math Buildings, and they do um, a couple tapings on a Saturday. And it was actually our parish priest who brought us there. He would load up his giant. I've told the story so many times. Um, but it's, it's still a true story uh, this priest was a legend. He was absolutely a legend. Um, he was, his, his 
one of his um, parishioners was actually the Fergie Jenkins. So I have a baseball from that was a gift from this priest that was signed by Fergie Jenkins. Like he had touches everywhere, and so I don't actually know if he ever paid for anything. Um, he would just come in and bless people, and like just we'd walk in, and nice. so there's giant Chrysler Imperial. Uh, that he would load up with altar boys and we would go and watch the wrestling matches on a, on a Saturday morning at the University of Windsor math building. So when you said there's going to be wrestling on a university campus, I was like, yeah. Um, and so that was the uh, superstars of wrestling. And that's where uh, the superstars of wrestling name comes from. And the WWF eventually bought that and took it over in the 80s. But it was uh, for a long time. So there was Crybaby Cannon ran that. And he had Milton Ruskin was the uh, was the host and commentator. And, and of Ruskin was a, a real, real solid baby face. Um, and... Uh, Wrestlers, I saw, you know, Bulldog Don Kent. There was a, a big German, a German, uh, the, the the traditional Nazi German in those days, um, Hans Mueller, and uh, the the Destroyer was there. Uh, Luis Ariba Martinez would come in every once in a while. Um, occasionally, you'd see like Edward Carponce, Gino Brito, uh, Dino Bravo, um, those type of. Uh, wrestlers. Those are the ones I, I, I remember them probably the most. The Destroyer was the, was probably the big um, heel at the time, and uh, there were also the the Moondog Sailor Moondog White, the Sailor Moondog White um, tag team. Um, they were they were there at the time. Um, they took a lot of heat. So that, so that was, that was the, it was a sort of a real big big guys bashing brawling sort of. Um, wrestling and then obviously there was the Detroit stuff and I could go on for days about that because that was that was a totally separate promotion it was a totally mm. separate taping um, and there would be cross-border mingling but that the Detroit stuff was was totally totally different as well and so obviously that was um, there was the Sheik and and Dick the Bruiser and uh, it was Abdullah the Butcher is actually from Windsor so is Killer Kowalski um, and so that was a so that was sort of a gnome thing and uh, it's just a big bashing, brawling sort of style. That's really awesome. There's some some amazing names and amazing talent yeah. um, there. So was the um, the broadcast out of Detroit like fairly easy to uh, to pick up over the over the airwaves for you all? Yeah, it was kind of hilarious um, because uh, I sent you the link to the uh, the, the mockumentary pseudo documentary. Uh, I like to hurt people, which is about the Sheik, and they pull up outside of the WGPR studios, and um, the WGPR um, the um, it has uh, there's sort of a a couple of uh, different versions of how it has its name. One of the founders says it's where God's presence radiates, but it was also the WGP stands for Gross Point. And so when you talk about gated communities, Gross Point is, there are several Gross Points in, in Detroit, and those are, like, that's, that's where, um, like, Edsel Ford House is still there, and this is like a landmark place, and Gross Point is, uh, and, and then there's Gross Point Farms and Gross Point Woods and all these sort of things. So it is, there are gated communities inside gated communities over there, but this, the, the um, WGPR was actually a station originated for the African-American community in Detroit by the African-American community in Detroit. And it was, you know, a tremendous community resource, but they had to fill airwave, airtime. And so they would fill it with all kinds of interesting stuff. And so a lot of it was um, Christian oriented. And then they had the wrestling on, on Saturdays. But that's also how I got into Doctor Who 
was because of uh, there would be these um, things, and the next thing that comes on is Dark Shadows, old Dark Shadows reruns, and Doctor Who, and professional wrestling, and it'd be like, okay, that's an interesting uh, mixture of things. Uh, how, how could how could you go wrong with that combination of things? And they had that a would fabulous. Immediately be my favorite TV station. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely <clears throat> fabulous, and you didn't always know what time things would be on. And then there was also a, another uh, show they used to show on Channel 20 in Detroit, which was that these were obviously VHF stations, and they would um, show these are UHF stations, and, and they would have this. So there was Channel 20, Channel 50, and Channel 62 in Detroit, and then there was um, Channel 9 in Windsor, which had a big, big antenna because they got a, uh, a CRTC exemption, which is the Canadian, you have to have CanCon, an amount of Canadian content. And otherwise, if you don't have the amount of Canadian content, you, you, you break the rules. You, you get a slap on the wrist, you're in a lot of trouble. So the stations in Windsor all got special promotion because they said, look, we've got a big competitor across the border. Give us a big antenna. And so Channel 9 in Windsor famously had one of the biggest um, antennas. And, and the, um, the AM station there, um, uh, CKLW, had the biggest transmitter uh, for a time in, in the area, the 58,000-watt clear channel AM transmitter. And so in the 60s and early 70s, they were broadcasting all over the place. It was, so it was awesome. Be, and so people knew about these wrestling promotions because they were very, very accessible. Picked up that signal in like freaking Gary, Indiana or like Chicago. On Mars. Yeah. <laughs> on Mars. Yeah, there was. <laughs> and, Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's, I don't want to belabor it, but it's kind of, kind of funny you mentioned that. But there was a Muncie, Indiana was the furthest away we got. There was a channel from there. And so we would, we would get like those sorts of um that sort of wrestling as well so that's how i got my awa experience was there was a a, chan a couple cleveland channels we got and there was this one muncie indiana which i will remember forever i have some friends in muncie or they were in muncie and i've been there a number of times and i can't imagine they have a whole lot of um program that was worth watching huh. no, no offense no offense to the good people of muncie but how to grow corn ain't a whole hell a lot of a lot going on down there so were those um those those shows with the priests uh that yeah. those those are probably the first kind of live shows you um you attended absolutely yeah 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 and then they used to have it also to tell you how low rent it was i mean they used to have it there's a big there's a big um fair in the area the leaming leamington fair um and it's interesting leamington fair is a is kind of a big deal um because it's uh leamington was the tomato capital of canada um, it's where they make ketchup. Heinz used to make ketchup there. So they just have this big fair. I don't know how big it is now because obviously the pandemic and I haven't been back in a long, long time. But there used to be a tradition of they would have the wrestling at the at the Leamington Fair. And it was uh, uh, so they would have uh, that's the first time I saw a cage match was at the was at the hmm. Leamington Leamington Fair. It was it was terrifying. It, it was it was terrifying. It was gory. It was gruesome. Um, they uh, they had the. They they used for for whatever reason. This is a, a bad idea. Abdullah the butcher and the sheik are are probably nearby, and you're using a screwdriver to keep, close the cage. Why would you think to do that? Like that. And so there was no chance that 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 screwdriver was ever going to come out and be used across somebody's forehead. It was it was uh, it was an absolute mess. It was an absolute disaster. Pretty awesome. We could probably do an entire episode on the sheik. Um, I so that uh that that mockumentary that you mentioned we like to or I like to hurt people was um 
my first exposure to a whole lot of video. I mean, I've seen some video over the years, but um, a whole lot of video on him and his promotion. And um, it's, it's, if you haven't seen it, it's a, did, Rich, did you get a chance to watch that one? I, I did. It. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a mess. It's amazing. Yeah. It's um, it's yeah, it's like a kayfabe documentary, basically. It purports to be this kind of behind the scenes of the Sheik's promotion. But it, as soon as you start watching it, it's clear that everybody's sort of uh, in, on the, in on scripts. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the cool part is there is there is a lot of like action, a lot of crowd stuff and just the vibe and stuff is is captured um, pretty well. Um, and the version that Mark sent me was. I think recorded from like Australian TV or something. It was on YouTube. Um, yeah, so, some great so commercials the, in there. So the ads are also amazing. Yeah, there's a Wheel of Fortune commercial that uh, Rich and I both remember the jingle for the the Wheel Watcher commercial. Um, anyway, so are you reading the Blood and Fire uh, book uh, on the Sheik? Did I see you were reading that? Yeah, it, it's on my phone. I, I, oh. Absolutely, positively, I have. I, nice. I, I downloaded the book onto my phone just to make sure I always have it. Uh, it's, especially because you said I was going to come on, so I, I better have something to talk about. <laughs> um, but it was it was really really fascinating. It, it confirmed a lot of you know things that I, I I was able to surmise as an adult. It's really one of the fun things I think about it is is being able to remember a child's eyes and how that child's perspective um, of looking at things. So that's why I sort of, you mentioned seeing my kids and I sort of prepared them, but I sort of didn't because I wanted them to, I didn't, I didn't want to, I wanted them to have that same sort of experience, right? I wanted to have, I wanted them to have that, this sort of the, the shock, the dismay, um, the part where you, where you, you laugh and then you put your hand over your mouth because, oh, I shouldn't laugh at that. Oh yeah, but that was funny. That was fun. I enjoyed that, that sort of thing. So I really enjoyed, um, I'm enjoying the, the part of the sheet. There's the part I, I, um, I skipped forward. I started about chapter 10, which, which is about where, um, the, I like to hurt people comes in. Cause there's, there is a chapter I like to hurt people, um, in the book. So I, I, uh, I, I sort of skipped ahead. So I'm sort of catching up right now, reading it. Um, and uh, just just the it, it brought up some, some names that I had forgotten. Like I remember a match, uh, Sheik versus Art Thomas, Sailor Art Thomas, right? And that was when and he threw fire into Art Thomas's face, mm. and then and then he pinned him. Um, and uh, you know, seeing the camel clutch and the camel clutch, seeing the pictures of the camel clutch, it looks so primitive compared to how other people um, did it. Like it, it looks really really primitive compared to even like Iron Sheik's camel clutch. Um, you know, um, so so that was that was interesting, and then you know the uh, the memories of of like Kobo Arena and uh, versus the Olympia Stadium. Um, my parents never took me to anything at Olympia Stadium because by the time I was old enough, the the area around Olympia was not nice. It was it was pretty rough. It was a pretty rough um, area, and and the building was pretty run down when they finally closed Olympia Stadium. Um, so I never, I never went there, um, a, as a kid, but Cobra Arena, they used to have a bus that, they, well, they still do. And they, um, but Cobra Arena is not there anymore, but they, you could get on the bus in Windsor through the tunnel out the other side, show your birth certificate or your passport, and then just walk up to Cobra Arena and, and, and do that. So it was like, it was like in and out, nobody gets hurt except in the ring. And it was just, how could, how could anything be better? <laughs> have you ever found your, your fandom, like fluctuating like uh sometimes you go away from wrestling and then come back and do you do you find yourself in in any kind of pattern like that and do you 
think, where do you think you are right now in that pattern? Well, uh, I think I'm, I'm probably wait the, the, the new sort of indie circuits and the smaller circuits, I think has, has renewed the fandom because I think they're doing some really, really interesting stuff. And I think that, that you know, the talent, like I was really, really impressed by the, by the work rate of some of the, uh, and the skillfulness obviously of the VCW, um, roster. Um, I, I speak, I can speak very highly of them. Um, I, I don't know if it matters, but, uh, to them, but, uh, the, that was really, that was really nice. And I know I've been following, um, uh, sort of the stuff in Northern Florida as well. There's some really good wrestling that goes on down there. Um, and a couple of them even follow me on Twitter, which is like a treat. So, so, uh, shout out to Effie and, and Lady Frost on, on Twitter. Um, and, and there's a friend of mine who teaches down there, uh, who, who is a, a huge wrestling fan and he's also involved in, um, has, has become closer to the, the independent promotions. And I think, I think that's what's, what's, what's current, my current, um, fandom mm. because I, I, there was a moment when, um, uh, yeah, the, the WCW, the Monday night wars, uh, started to become unwatchable for me. It mm. just, you know, um, uh, we'll call it David Arquette. We'll just say we'll just say that. I'll just say that, yeah. and, and and that's all we have to say, right? Yeah, hey, I um, thought I thought we said no politics on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no bashing, no bashing uh, specific candidates, please. No, <laughs> okay, uh, no, that's fine. All right, yeah, yeah, just for lack of a better word, uh, David Arquette. Yeah, David Arquette. Yeah, well, okay, but seriously i don't think david arquette would last 10 minutes without any of us but uh and so that whole thing was just like that was that was kind of ridiculous but then I, I like tag team wrestling and vince mcmahon doesn't mm -hmm. um and so that that's an obvious one right and and so i didn't even realize you know they refer to it now as the attitude era and i was like what is this attitude era oh that was when i was writing my dissertation and watching wrestling every night okay um and so, uh, but I actually loved that. I, I really, I really, really did because I thought there was a, there was a poignancy, right? Because it went from being, I hate the Russians. I hate the Germans. Um, I vaguely hate people who aren't from here, um, as the storyline let's, let's play on sort of, you know, very, very concrete, good and evil, and maybe a little bit of xenophobia, which, which always sells well, um, wherever you are. Um, and then it went to, I hate my boss. And that was around the same time as there was like mass um, downsizing, the first round of mass downsizing. And then you had the dot-com bubble burst, right? And, and like, um, you know, as it, it turns out, true, true story, um, that my, my father-in-law was a vice president of, of a large tech company that at one point made up 20% of the Toronto stock market. And they were known as a serial downsizer in the business. And they just kept cutting people. Like, how do we compete with Cisco? Oh, cut 45,000 people. Well, we had 90,000. Well, it's half your workforce. Okay, that's what we have to do. And, that, and they just did it, like, overnight. Um, and they, mm. they, you know, and, and so that was around the same time as the Ric Flair having his battle with Bischoff and, and around the same time as Austin having his battle with McMahon. And so there, were, there was sort of a resonance there of how that worked. But I also... One of the things I do connect in, in my dissertation, and that's where that article came from. It took me, would you believe it took me uh, like a dozen years to get that in print, to get somebody to say, you know what, this, this guy's onto something. Um, so I would always say, never be the first unless you can be the Beatles, um, top tip. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't be a, uh, a, uh, an, an anonymous, mediocre Canadian guy if you wanna be ahead of, ahead of everybody else. Um, so 
but I, I, I really think there was a, also there, there is a, a resonance to um, what another scholar calls Susan Jeffords calls Vietnam representation. And, and what she found was a series of tropes, traits, like characteristics, like re recurring themes, recurring motifs, recurring ideas that come that deal with America's Vietnam experience and trying to reconcile that. And it just becomes this like elegy, this elegiac process. How do we mourn what we can't mourn publicly? What, how do we mourn what we can't state? Like we can't say what we're mourning because that would be too painful. It would be maybe too political. It would be too acknowledging something, but we still want to mourn it. So how do we just keep doing this? Right. And Jefford sees this coming out in, in action movies. And what was really fun was there's a, a, a sports sociologist who said, well, we can see how this plays out in sports. And I went, well, why doesn't anybody talk about sports movies? And why doesn't anybody talk about sports entertainment? And so what I started doing was putting this, this sociologist who actually refers to Susan Jeffords and she talks about Vietnam representation. And obviously the, the Vietnam representation, the classic is, is like Coming Home, The Deer Hunter, Rambo, all of those, right? And then you still see that in, in like the, 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 the Hulkamania, the, you know, Born in the USA and all that sort of stuff. Um, and even like Wyndham and Rotunda, they have the USA Express. And you can see that sort of thing um, playing out. And uh, so, so I was the guy who said, Hmm. Why don't we? Why doesn't anybody look at sports movies? Why doesn't anybody look at pro wrestling? And then everybody said, "Oh, we don't do sports movies. Sports <laughs> movies are the lowest form of movie." And then, and then they said, "Sports uh, wrestling is the lowest form of entertainment." And I went, "Well, so was Chaucer in his day." Yeah. And that was dangerous. Like that was a dangerous idea for me to say that like Chaucer was kind of body. And then I, I went, "Okay, the first exploding fart joke that's in chaucer that's in the canterbury <laughs> right. tales right and and so then it was like having to deal with somebody who is this the smart ass kid who also happened to be a properly trained academic how do you deal with that guy and so they, eventually they, they, you know they had to deal with me so you can also <laughs> see there's the, i come by the, the sort of affinity with wrestling sort of naturally because there's like at some point you have to you have to have that that sort of inner academic badass to ask these questions right yeah i mean so first off farts are funny no matter whether it's 1300 or 1999 whatever whenever it is they're they're still funny um and if you don't think they're funny all the joy is gone out of your life and you should probably just get in the box. I don't, I'm not interested in people who don't think farts are funny. And if you want to light them on fire and blow them up, like that's even better. I, I got, I got no qualms with any of that. And it's, um, it's the most natural humor too. Like my, my toddler, when he was like 18 months old, maybe farted while changing his diaper and he started laughing. <laughs> that was like one of the first things he ever just like straight up just lost his mind over being so hilarious and now he farts and goes i tooted <laughs> like it's it's ridiculous so i do i do the same thing it's, it's amazing it's it's uh it's instinctual it's built into us because otherwise if we didn't find it funny farting is absolutely terrifying why did that sound just come out of my rear why is that happening so um yeah, yeah. no i'm glad that you sort of made the uh turn the corner here in because we, yeah. we the next thing up was actually to talk a little bit about some of your work and um that susan jeffords piece is is a really useful one i've i've read that one before um and you know that sort of that idea of kind of re re-fighting almost the vietnam war right like we 
we lost it really badly. Now let's let's set this guy up. You know whether it's Rambo or whatever, and he's going to win it for us. Um, and all that stuff. But um, so yeah, so your your 2016 article, if you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Masculinity and the rise of professional wrestling in the 90s digs into a lot of this stuff. Your your article gave me lots of feels and lots of thoughts, um, just because it it approaches one of the most interesting eras of professional wrestling, the attitude era from like, and the Monday night roars from like multiple angles from like the, the pushing of toxic masculinity and angry white men to like the, the work balance and like the push against the more liberal concepts that were coming into American culture at the time versus, you know, this very, like socialist idea of down with my boss, we should be paid more. You you don't you mistreat me. Like it's a very paradoxical kind of environment that they're creating. So like and the very first one is you you talked a lot about the NWO takeover of WCW and how it's a representation of the new form of of oppression by an employer. Um, and the NWO arc actually has taken a good chunk of the blame for the eventual failure of WCW. That it, it just the it's a storyline that got out of control to where everybody wanted to be in the NWO to the point to where everything was NWO, and the NWO had to split the fight itself. In your opinion, in storytelling, was the failure of WCW and WWF purchasing it uh, a success for WCW? Because then that shows that the NWO like failed as their attempt to running the company, or was that a failure for WCW because it finally had to succumb to the NWO pressure, which technically at the beginning was presented as a WWF invasion? That's a really damn tough question um, <laughs> because I'm I'm not really a uh, I'm not really a supply side sort of scholar i'm more of a of a, of a consumption side scholar a uh, demand side scholar although like production obviously matters but i'm not a supply side scholar um if i was critiquing if i do anything with supply side i'm i'm critiquing the snot out of it um so there's so part of it is that there was they got themselves into a an, into a bunch of contractual problems that's that's one of the actual physical things you know yeah. the, the the legal thing where you had people like sting who were on these contracts that were based on so many nights a year and so all of a sudden we've used up those nights and and all he can do is stand there and wave or or look pouty and and i mean sting that's that's like that's his finishing move is standing there and looking pouty a, after a while um and so at, at some point they 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 sort of contracted themselves into a corner with wrestlers who who would say look i'm not doing it you you paid me for x nights a year i'm not doing it um, and so there was that. And then you also had in the background, though, there was a lot of stuff happening where I think, um, and I don't, I don't want to speak too much out of school uh, um, or, or, you know, suggest things, but there was a lot of problems with um, uh, substance abuse, alcohol abuse. Um, we know there's been cases of bullying. There's the, the, the infamous plane ride from hell um, that, that, that people know about. Um, and there was obviously the uh, performance-enhancing um, drug problems that, that happened around the same time. So there's a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, and I think people, people treat those things a little bit more seriously now. Um, so, so there's a number of problems. But I think also, I mean, there's obviously, obviously you can simplify it to Russo versus um, others, like Jim Cornette 
Jim Cornette's hatred of Vince Russo, I think, is 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 one of the most interesting potential works in history. Or if it's true, it's it's even more interesting um, because like Cornette says, I want credible wrestling, and it's still wrestling. At some point, it's still wrestling. Um, you know, and it's like at some point we go like there's a, the 97th Indiana Jones movie is happening, and like at some point we still want Indy to slap somebody with his whip or or do the um, you know, just pull it and shoot the guy who's doing all the all those fancy moves or something. We want one of those trademark things. Oh, I I hate snakes, and we 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 paid our fifteen bucks for a box of popcorn and and let alone the tickets so just to have him say I hate snakes. But we wanted that moment. So at some point you have to have wrestling, and there was too much story. That I think there was too much storyline, and then instead of having you know they started worrying too much about each other. Um, WCW starts worrying too much about WWF and then, and then, and, you know, and then, and they had those, the WWF at the same time, they had those skits, like when they had, um, the, uh, the, uh, the Huckster and, and the Nacho Man and they had these, these o older, uh, characters yeah. pr pretending and outfitted like the, like the wrestlers. And so that was pretty, um, it seemed pointless. It seemed it, even, even for something as, as, as juvenile as wrestling needs to be, it was seemed really juvenile. It seemed cheap, petty juvenile. So there's so many different factors to, to, to think about why WCW failed. But in the end, is it a success because you bought it, right? Um, how horrible was it, you know, but I, I almost see it like it was like when the Penn Central um, railroad was was made into existence the new york central didn't need to merge with the penn central but neither did or with the pennsylvania railroad the pennsylvania railroad held the record for the longest continuous streak of dividends paid in american corporate history and then they merged with the new york central and it was a disaster that still hasn't been solved um right because that's how you ended up with conrail and then conrail was split and conrail was split into you know cs uh, between and among CSX and Norfolk Southern and a bunch of other things, but it still hasn't really gotten any better and it was supposed to solve things. So I see it as, as, as that sort of merger. Um, it's, I think it's only now really coming out of it. Like, I really think there was, a, there was a long hangover. Like I, I, and afterwards I found it, I just couldn't watch it. I just couldn't watch it. Do you think WWF should have just let it fail and go away or? I, I would have never hired Vince Russo a second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, Chris, that's a good call. Um, like, yeah, at a certain point, it's just two rich white dudes measuring their dicks on TV, like week in and week out. You know, and how much can the average person, the, uh, you know, really like, really uh, empathize or even have an interest in either side of that? You know, like, look, these guys are both pieces of shit. <laughs> like, especially in this environment that you talk about in the article, which is. You know, that's kind of like post post industrial, you know, the, the, the industrial thing is sort of collapsing. Like there's not um, not these these paths to prosperity like there were for the average worker. You know, you've sort of turned from we hate the Iranians, we hate the Russians to we hate the boss. Um, now, all of a sudden, these TV shows are on week in, week out asking you to sort of align yourself with one of these like billionaire dickheads you know i don't know if i'd go that yeah i would go that far but um the <laughs> yeah because it's like okay at, at what point you know the the news reporting of it when when they started reporting things like um one of the big ones that happened i can remember from my youth was that there was a, a car crash um involving professional wrestlers who were going from one gig to another 
and um, interestingly enough, I found it di doing a dive down the old Slam Wrestling files um, that I had used, and so there was a reference to that, and it broke kayfabe because there were heels and and baby faces in the in the same car, and they actually had some of the the little people, or as they used to, you know, the midget wrestlers that they used to say um, uh, when when they you know used to have have um you know very exploitative gimmicks that was that was what the other thing was that there were very exploitative gimmicks and some of the stuff that the wcw was doing rather exploitative gimmicks um the wwf wf um went there a couple times i think wwf was a little bit smarter like one of the things like i i talk about was the in a someplace else uh in another paper i talk about how they did the um uh where stephanie mcmahon turned out to be the one as the ringleader of the National Organization of Women protest against the WWF at the time. And now we have to say WWE. Um, I guess I'm showing my age. But uh, so, so that was clever. That was smart. That was smart because they, they, they you know, they, they had some very smart, allegedly very smart people as like the most obvious marks in in history you know and i thought i was i enjoyed that i enjoyed every minute of it it's like when when um like I've, I've written extensively about grand theft auto as well um which is still my favorite game to play like grand theft auto san andreas we're about to start our summer because the kids just finished school and they're big enough now i can play san andreas every year since san andreas came out we have spent my wife and i've spent a summer playing through an entire front to back play of grand theft auto san andreas i absolutely love it and so one of the things that happened was that I mean, it's no secret. They hired Max Clifford, the most one of the most notorious PR people in the UK, to create the hype, so that this was the game nobody wanted you to play. So of course, everybody wants to play it, and there is something to that. The more taboo you make something, the taboo and the fetish become the same thing. There, there is that wonderful moment, right? And that's that's a you know that's such a literary trope. That is like that is one of the most used most frequently used literary tropes that we have the fetish and the taboo become the same thing you know attraction and repulsion um they go together so my mom when i was in college wanted me to buy a playstation 2 because she thought i was i was pushing myself too hard and i needed to needed something to distract myself and she was like all right you're gonna buy a playstation 2 and i'm gonna buy you <laughs> grand theft auto 3 well, that's, that's a good mom that right like Mom, are you aware of what this game is? And she's like, "Oh yeah, I've seen it on TV. You you should play it. You'll like it." <laughs> like so, uh, yeah. Hell so yeah. I I abided the order and went out and bought a PlayStation Two with Grand Theft Auto Three. Um, yeah, and I remember like trying to get it at Toys R Us, and they're like, "Oh, we don't sell that game here." And then the guy in the video game counter was like, "If you want to buy it, you got to go down to the Circuit City." They <laughs> like. Uh, okay, I don't yeah. think you need to whisper to me, but like it was totally, absolutely taboo to to want that game and to play that game, and it created such a huge demand and hype that it was incredible. We've um we actually talked about that, you know, sort of the taboo and the the desire, you know, the fetish um, in relation to Demolition, who was, you know, a hugely successful tag team in the WWE and sort of the heyday of tag team wrestling, and also very much timed to coincide with sort of the satanic panic and people freaking out about heavy metal music and um and their you know their look with the spiked hoods and all that stuff like it was it was designed to like piss off your parents you know which of course made it like the coolest thing 
uh, in the entire world to a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old, you know? And so of course, so, you know, all of us, I mean, I remember being terrified by demolition, uh, when they would come out, but also kind of fascinated. Right. And like, like, oh shit, what are these guys going to do? They're so scary. <laughs> it's a, it's that push and pull, you know, I think there's a lot of that in wrestling. You were talking about the cage match. Um, and you're like, oh, this is bloody. This is gory. I shouldn't look, but I, I'm totally going to look. Um, there's there's quite a bit of that that's sort of at play uh, in in the way that we watch wrestling. Absolutely, and and we watch like I remember Demolition, and I like them. This is they're one of the few WWF of the time teams and performers that I liked more than the and and then some of the NWA. Like I preferred the NWA at that time to the WWF because the WWF was was all about. Um, Hulk Hogan, um, or Chump Hogan, as as uh, Bobby Heenan used to call him, and I just thought this is the most horrible thing. Like, okay, he's going to make the comeback. He's going to, you know, three punches, a kick, uh, off the ropes, leg drop, one, two, three, it's over. And and it's like, and people complain that the Sheik only had five minute matches. Um, you know, Hogan, um, it was it was terrible uh, on the days that you actually saw a title match, right? And so the. NWA, at least they had the TV title at the time, and, and that was going to be defended every every TV taping, allegedly. And so I, I just thought it was a better overall quality, but the Demolition was a fantastic tag team. But they, of course, had a, had a huge pedigree before they became Demolition, right? Um, yeah. So that was that was part of it, too. But they were, yeah, they were fantastic. And I, I, I as I've said before, I, I, I you know, I really like tag. I, I always enjoyed tag team wrestling. Right, which makes sense for your NWA, your preference for NWA, because that's where like the tag teams really thrive. That's where the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express, the the Russians, and you know everybody, the Four Horsemen, the you know them. Road uh, Warriors. You know, Road Warriors too were hanging out there for most of the time. You know, so it makes sense that that was. That was your jam. Yeah, and even before that, like um, obviously the I, you know, back to the the, the kangaroos um, with uh, Costello and Kent. Uh, that's the era of kangaroos I remember. And then obviously the Sailor Moon Dog Whites I mentioned before. But I can remember like a tag team match of, um, I think it was Luis Ariba Martinez and Bobo Brazil against Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik, and. Um, it was it was it was nasty. It was one of the nastiest things I've I've ever seen, um, and because uh, like Abdullah the Butcher, you didn't know what that guy was going to do. You didn't know um, at any time, and um, so that was that was pretty um, that was pretty cool uh, to see that that sort of thing. But I, yeah, I was I always really did have an affinity for tag team wrestling because I always thought um, the one thing that like the WWF had the. Um, they sort of stereotyped that you had to have the speed man and then you had the power man. But there were tag teams like the, um, you mentioned the Midnight Express, and they were always really balanced. I, 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 I like the, a lot of the tag teams were a little bit more balanced in, in, in some of the NWA um, tag teams. And that, was, that, was, that made it more fun, I think, a little bit more competitive looking. The, the, the wrestling was a little bit more credible. Yeah, so I got another. I have a. I, I have. I, there's. So our notes are in black text for Tim and red for mine. And I just have this massive chunk of red text about stuff. Uh, so, like, the other thing, the Uh-oh. main theme that I pulled out of your paper, too, was just like the sudden absence of a common enemy for the American culture has kind of kind of changed what pop culture, especially with like movies and how they presented who the bad guys were like after 1991 russians were no longer the bad guy and there was a vacuum of like well who do we make bad guys and so 
Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Canadian Bacon by Michael Moore. Um, but it's basically on that principle. The Russians, the Russians have given up, you know, they want Kentucky fried chicken. So, you know, the, they decide to try and build a cold war with Canada. And, um, you have like John Candy and some folks just like taking it to heart that it's their American duty to figure out what is going on with those sneaky Canadians as a mile across the border. Um, so, movies movies and and tv shows and like theater and everything like that even after 9-11 were able to present things with with terrorists as the bad guys or or corporations but terrorism never really became much of a theme for the heels in professional wrestling what do you have an opinion on like the reason why like professional wrestling felt that that was like an untouchable trope for a heel as opposed to while movies and other art forms could totally use either terrorist organizations or individual terrorist threats uh as as a uh as a motive yeah I, a couple couple things come to mind is one of the is that it doesn't really seem like it would it fit immediately because one of the things with wrestling is they they like to adopt things really really quickly but they like to integrate sort of seamlessly um and then the best way to have a new storyline is to have somebody go away for three months and then come back almost like a soap mm -hmm. opera um and so they follow that sort of soap opera you know where, where the character in the soap opera i remember um you know the classic is is young and the restless and the next generation of newman was a baby and then goes off to boarding school and comes back 21 and it was a summer and it's like <laughs> come on you know and and, and then and and so in the WWE, it was like so, somebody went off, you know, for three months. He's on suspension, and he comes back, and he's twenty pounds heavier and tanned. And you go, where did that happen, right? Um, that was some suspension. He was suspended to a gym. Um, so it, it it didn't. I like part of it is the is how do you work that into the story? But then at the same time, there is sort of a, a thing that that's happened within. Um, American culture, and there is this, you know, sort of the the enemy is within. The enemy is your next door neighbor. The enemy is around the corner. The enemy is what you don't know, um, and that seems to be pervasive. And that that becomes an, mm -hmm. and and like it's not a surprise that zombies have come back um, in a variety of different ways. Um, and I'm 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 that guy who reminds people for for everybody who says Fortnite is horrible and evil. I'll remind people that that Minecraft, which is like celebrated as this educational pedagogical masterpiece, and Minecraft is about strip mining, plundering, um, uh, throwing out the uh, the natives uh, and the indigenous peoples, and overpowering them and colonizing and turning everything into a flat landscape where you grow and exploit. And it's like and you you learn to become an obedient, docile worker. Um, and so that, that, that sort of notion, it, like in, in Minecraft, again, it seems har totally harmless, but I, I, I remember playing it, um, uh, with my then five-year-old and, and she was sitting there, you know, daddy, can you help me? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, the next thing you know, I'm, I'm this obedient, docile worker and they call it in video games, they call it grinding for a reason mm -hmm. when you do that. Right. And you, it just becomes like, okay. At what point am I, you know, playing like I'm in a widget factory? And, and so that sort of thing is sort of more pervasive in American culture right now. And you have this, this very, this very us versus them political landscape where at any given time, a third of the country would want me deported in a heartbeat. 
um, and worse. Uh, and uh, at the, on the other hand, you know, I get to blend in. I get to, I get to pass as a white Anglophone person. And, and so I get to hear it as well, you know. And, and so we have this culture where we don't talk about it. I mentioned this today. I was talking to somebody else. And where I, where I live, like, um, you know, you hear there's, there was this article that came out in the New York Times from, from Fortnite to alt-right. And there was this idea that if you played Fortnite, you were going to be susceptible to, like, this alt-right pipeline. And, and, and my 12-year-old plays Fortnite, and he's pretty damn good. Um, <laughs> and he's scary good. And uh, uh, better than me, which is, you know, I'm scary good. Uh, so the, uh, but the other thing is my kids also play baseball and softball. And the local organization, I will not say where, but the local organization during the worst of the pandemic, when there were mandates in place, um, was openly anti-vax, anti-mask, anti, and they were bringing their let's go Brandon shirts. And so like every other um, political statement is, is banned. But apparently, as long as you can claim somewhere in your family, you had a relative named Brandon, you can wear a let's go Brandon shirt. And, and this is the thing. And so nobody has an article in the New York Times saying bats right to alt right. And I'm telling you, that's just as likely. And so there's this sense that like, you, you know, um, the, the notion of how these things it's, it, I think it's, it's, it's even more nuanced. But I think these sorts of themes of the distrust of my neighbor, of the distrust of, of things. And, and so it was kind of interesting because like, I, it, it was, I mean, really homey for a Canadian, like moving here. Like I felt right at home because as a Canadian, I could go 10 years without talking to my next door neighbor. And that's just, you just sort of nod and, and drive off to work in the morning. And here it's like, nobody wants to talk to me. It's like, oh, okay, it's just a normal neighborhood. But then I find out that they don't want to talk to me because I am, I am the foreigner. You know, like literally I had one of the neighbors stop me in the driveway and say, how long are you going to be staying here? Because there are, there are nice people in this neighborhood, you know, and I'm like, admittedly, I have a, a pretty wife and, 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 and kids and, and a nice house that I've kept up and cut the grass. And I'm like, I thought we were nice people. You know, are I don't you cooking. Are you cooking meth in the basement or something? Like, <laughs> like I was looking at this, right? you know, I, 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 also, I, I, who's nicer than Canadians? I mean, well, that's the point of the, of, of, of Canadian bacon, right? It's kind of, <laughs> right. it's kind of what you're known for, right? Like it's the O it's the O's and it's sorry. the being super nice. Sorry. sorry. Uh, like <laughs> I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I'm glad you What's mentioned Canadian bacon. And just to let you know, there is a better movie. It's a little bit more dry. It's called the Canadian Conspiracy, and it has Lauren Green in it. And it's and the idea is that there's the Canadian Conspiracy to take over Hollywood, um, as a as a protest to some um, slight that America did to us. And uh, which, uh, and so even Anne Murray is in it. And Anne Murray, oh, shit. she 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 actually does like basically kayfabe, is it is the whole the whole movie is basically kayfabe about this Canadian conspiracy. And so they say, is there a connection between Lauren Green? And green card, and, and <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. So, I'll see if I can get you a copy. You'll love that I mean, better. The, the kayfabe in it is really good. Howie Mandel polishes all this, all the stars on the on the Hollywood Walk. <laughs> nice. That's really good. I mean, Dan Aykroyd, Michael J. Fox. Um, I don't know. I, I like William Shatner. You guys got all the good ones. Like so, Alex Trebek. Yeah. True story. And and true story, I did go to the university that was one of the inspirations for Animal House. That is actually where I did two of my mm -hmm. degrees. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and and you know, as you're talking about like wrestling focusing on evil corporations, what ends up actually being the true bad guy in Canadian Bacon is a giant weapons corporation manufacturer. So it's always it's always the corporations that are the bad guys, uh, and even a lot of the terrorist movies, like you know, it turns out that they're actually being backed by some giant conglomerate or something like that. So um, now the the last the last clump question of red text that I have okay. is maybe is mainly I'll, maybe about. I'll take a bathroom break while you do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so well, the last. The, the other thing is nobody's looked at me and said, you've been ducking me. You've been ducking me, Mark. You've been ducking me for an hour. Why are you ducking me? No, you haven't answered this. So um, <laughs> so that's good. But you can. You can if, if, if you no, think I'm, du- no, I'm no. ducking your questions. No. <laughs> no, you're giving traditional academic questions. I, I studied music and worked with music composers that will tell you all kinds of bullshit about why they wrote something instead of just going, I thought it sounded really cool. You know, <laughs> well, you know. so it's it's okay. Um, so the last bit is actually about the, the angry white male cultural stereotype, uh, and the pushback and reaction to concepts of, of like affirmative action and LGBTQ acceptance and feminism of the late nineties and how WWF it, it presented itself as like a counter to those concepts while openly mocking them with like D, uh, DX famously dressing in blackface to mock the nation of domination, which was itself a mock of the nation of Islam and such. Uh, then there was the, the, the hot lesbian action and gold dust characters uh, with the LGBTQ community stuff. And then just straight up bra and panties match, playboy matches, stuff like that, uh, pushing it back against feminism. And it was this, do you, like it's do you do you feel like that that's what the entire point of the of the 90s WWF was was the pushback against that and like because uh, I watched that HBO documentary I don't know if you've seen it on Woodstock 99 and about uh, basically uh, it was just a large group of white angry men that felt like they could have their way with uh, any woman there um, and if when you watch a Monday night raw from 1999 and then you watch that documentary, it feels like it's the exact same audience. Uh, is, is that what you're kind of going for in your paper was really to, to angle at that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Next question. <laughs> yeah. The, no, the, 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 no BS about it is absolutely positively like, and, and one of the inspirations for this, and I, and I'll tell you this, uh, um, one of the things that happened in, for me in a, in a, in a classroom setting, uh, was going through this sort of thing in the classroom setting in a, in a, in a small class. And I had this one young man um, who was a huge fan of the same kind of music uh, that they played at, which, uh, at uh, Woodstock 99. I won't even name the names of those bands. I don't want their name. They don't get names. Um, uh, like, so that's like... Um, like Limp Biscuit guy, he doesn't get a name. Creed guy, he doesn't get a name. I, I don't even say their names. Um, uh, and I was doing that before, even before uh, they they started that on wrestling. Um, so it was because they're just generic, right? They're just generic types. But I had this student who was really, really attached to that, and he was really, really um, uh, uh, adamant that this was, you know, speaking to him and speaking to his life and the, and the experiences he had had. And I can't, I can't 
change that i can't you know i can't i um that's 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 his material existence that's his perceptual that's his uh, that is his reality and so the moment that happened was um he was talking about you know the, the, in the tutorial we were, and it was a class on consumerism and consumer culture as a matter of fact and um so so i so we mentioned the fact that there was this um, concert and and he was a huge at the time it was the Eminem concert and Eminem had the song that was that was um, about uh, his mother and the the Kilia um, and uh, it was you know rather visceral uh, experience about talking about his mother I'm a Kilia bitch uh, is the lyric um, from the song and um, the uh, interesting thing was that i i just asked a i asked a rather simple question that i thought was a rather simple question this is the thing is i don't ask a question in the classroom unless you have an expectation of what the answer might be right and so i asked the question how much was your ticket and it was like 95 you know to 125 bucks at the time for a ticket and at cops coliseum in hamilton um which is a okay venue and um a uh, shout out to the, everyone in the Hammer Steel Town. Um, so uh, I need I, I may need to eat there sometime. And so um, the uh, the the reality was I, I said okay that's you know that's really interesting. So let's talk about this because um, what's happening I said is um, what if I told you that you might find the same sorts of ideas of of absolutely like we think of mothers as, and this is this is what I, I I this is where I was able to sort of have this teachable moment was I said, mothers are sacrosanct in our culture, right? Mothers are seen as sacrosanct. And so it's not just the fact that he says, as hateful as he is, it's that, like the fact of hating your mom is not something that was acceptable at the time. Mother, mother knows best. And you had the, that sitcom mom who always sort of knew, knew what was going on. And the sitcom dad was always this oaf. And it didn't matter, you know, if it was, you know, Home Improvement or Everybody Loves Raymond or The Simpsons, the sitcom dad has always been an oaf. And the sitcom mom sort of was this, this, this good sacrosanct person. And then, and, and when you see the guys on TV, hi, mom, it's always hi, mom. And, and, um, you know, and, and so um, I said, but what if I told you that there was a play and there was a play that was going to be on and you could go watch it for free and it's a, by Tennessee Williams and he hated his mother. There's no doubt he hated his mother. Let me let me give you a mother-hating mm. play. <laughs> and what happened was, it was really really interesting. The visceral reaction I got, you know, and this is sort of where like having watched a lot of wrestling because um, there is an amount of fearlessness that comes with teaching the sorts of things that I teach in the classroom. If you're going to teach gender, sex, and sexuality, you're going to teach pop culture. You better have an amount of fearlessness with you, or or you better have a bodyguard. Like one of the two things, or, or you're going to be shy or you're never going to make your peace with it. And so I said, and so the reaction I got was he said, well, that's just those elites. They're just keeping us out and they're trying to keep us down and all that other stuff. And I said, but it's not going to cost you anything. Who's keeping you out? What made it inaccessible? And so then we go into what are these layers of access? What are the layers of accessibility? What are the, and we start taking those apart politically. And the next thing you know, by the time this, this young man graduated, um, he was into not just Tennessee Williams, he was into Eugene O'Neill. He found, he actually found Eugene O'Neill even more interesting than he found Tennessee Williams because there was that, that resonance, right? And he was able to relate to that story. Didn't stop liking Eminem. And I never said, don't listen to Eminem. 
I said, but why aren't we watching all this other stuff? What's keeping us away? What's the difference in access, right? And so one of the things that happened as well around that time was a billion cable channels, right? And then we had the, the internet and then we had YouTube and I can just sit there and I can watch the same thing over and over and over again. And then, well, I did mention this before we came on. My, my, my wife and kids are watching a Marvel movie right now, and I don't need to know which one they're watching. They're watching, it's the same Marvel movie. They're all the same. They're all the same. And Robert Downey Jr. is, he's a voice actor. I mean, he's, he's the highest paid, he's the most overpaid voice actor on, on earth. And that's all he is. And I'll, and I'll say that. And, and he could come out tomorrow and tell me, you know, he's done all these other, you're a voice actor. And not to denigrate voice actors, we need commercials. But, um... But Robert Downey Jr., that's what he does, right? He wears high heels and is a voice actor. Come okay. on the show, Robert Downey Jr. We'll tell you to your face. You're full of shit. You're not the real right. Iron Man. It's like Pedro Pascal just recently came out and finally admitted that he is not in the Mandalorian costume, that he's just a voice actor in the Mandalorian. Why would he be? Well, well, yeah. Why would he right. be? Yeah. What do you need right. to be, right? I mean, and the funny thing is, James Earl Jones never made a bone about being a voice actor. He's like, yeah, I'm a voice actor. I mean, that's, but that's another story. That's a story for another day, but that's the sort of thing. And so these sorts of relationships and, and why are we getting these resonances? So when you talk about the angry, angry white male, there's sort of this displaced, but I don't know what it is, right? And, and so one of my favorite definitions of angst is actually from from Douglas, Douglas Copeland, who talked about who wrote the book about you know Gen X and all that sort of stuff, and 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 his definition of angst was having limitless choices and choosing nothing. And so that's part mm. of it. That's part of it. But you can actually set your clock and your calendar. This is something I talk about in the book. Could I mention that? Um, in the book, what's the, what's the name of the book again? Playing with the guys. It, yeah. it was supposed to be playing with the boys, but that's another story. Um, Where can they buy it? Um, a finer ODU bookstore near you. I'm on Amazon. Okay. I have an Amazon page. Oh, cool. So, Very cool. McFarland. So, McFarland Press 2021. Yeah. Go so ahead. one of the things I say is that you can, you can set your clock by America News Magazine covers about a crisis in masculinity. And so... Um, I go through and I document. It's like every 10 years, there's a crisis in masculinity. The most recent one was they had the, um, Esquire had it. It was a, a very confused suburban white boy in Wisconsin who had no idea how to approach girls because he was afraid. And I'm like, come on. Like somebody, the next time somebody asks me, you know, doctor, and this is one of the ones I get, Dr. Willette. And, and when I get these questions, and I hate to say this, but it's true. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, they all sound like Eric Cartman to me when I get these, this certain sort of question. When they ask me, Dr. Willett, why don't we have a men's studies department? And, and I hear that in Eric Cartman's voice. Um, and I say, um, look, until we had a women's studies department or a gender studies department, it was all men's studies. Okay, so, so you know, deal with it, deal with it that way. And, and, they, and they ask me, you know, and I say, look, two, two thirds of the people floating around a university with PhDs are men. Easy as that, you know, when has there been a bad time to be uh, a white guy in America. Bo Burnham does it. I mean, Bo Burnham blasts it. He has the song about his father. I want to be um, like my dad in 1985 to be a white guy in 1985. A suburban white guy in 1985. It's hilarious. I mean, Bo Burnham is kind of, um, you know, one of my, one of my um, I don't have guilty pleasures. So that's one of my like hidden joys. You know. Thanks for the thoughts on that, Rich. Did, you, did I answer your question, or should do you um, do you want to do you want to press the professor on that one? No, I'm good. <laughs> Are you good? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to be sorry. ducky. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, 
I don't want to be ducking you. So I, I really don't. We've kind of <laughs> we've kind of talked about this a little bit and about the you know the the long period of time it took you to actually get your um, your wrestling piece into uh, a journal and out there and publishing. But um, and I think you know talk about not asking a question you don't know the answer to. But um, do your academic colleagues sort of understand your interest in wrestling or understand understand why you would write about it in this way and what's you know, what's their sort of typical reaction when you say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I did this thing about video games or about wrestling or how do they react? How do they react? Well, I, I remember all through all through my um, my graduate school experience, um, because I, I went to um, one of those universities where people would just look at you and they would say, it's just not done. It's just not done, Mark. It's just not done. And um, but I also had like a, a somebody who was in the cohort a year ahead of me. Um, wh who would constantly tell me, it's not literature. And he would say it exactly like that. It's not literature. And I would say, I'm sorry, what's literature? <laughs> what do you mean by literature? And, and so we would have to talk about this. So, and I was like, okay, but I realize I'm not, but, and, and so I spent an awful lot of time being a curiosity because I went to the university that actually still houses eight, the, the world-famous journal, 18th Century Literature, which wins all kinds of awards. And they are the place that provides the professors who give the lectures for the Stratford Shakespearean Festival, which is like renowned for being like what it is. It's like one of the best experiences of theater in, in, in the world. Um, and so that's where I went and um, to school. And I actually had an office at one point um, when I first started teaching there, um, I had my office right next to the prof who gave those um, lectures. And so, and he was a delightful man, but um, had no idea what it was I did. Um, and so I spent a lot of time having to sort of defend myself. My, my, my doctoral supervisor didn't have a television um, in his house. And, and he was one of those people who, when email came in, was like, um, I'll be on email once a day. At this particular time, I check my email, and then and, and that was it. As opposed to me, who grew up with it, and I, I, I um, I've been using the internet since the late '80s because of the, the various engineering jobs that I had because of I, I started life as a as a as an engineer, um, and I'm I'm now a reformed engineer, uh, and so. Uh, so I always so so this was really an interesting thing, and, and so they didn't know how to deal with me. But at the same time, they knew like cultural studies and pop culture was going to be a thing. So I got I was actually the first cultural studies PhD to come out of there, and so my dissertation had to be a thing. It had to be demonstrably as good as anything that that place had ever published. So I know for a fact that my dissertation was, um, you know, one of the one of the very best dissertations uh, to come out. In, in, in the country in that year because it had to be that was what they told me and so before the, and the name of the department was changed shortly after I graduated to English and cultural studies to recognize that that sort of progression so there was there was this sort of like behind the scenes but nobody would ever tell you they were on your side that was the other thing N nobody would ever tell you, you were, they were on your side and and so it was where I learned how to deal with university politics which is like one of the nastiest things you can learn how to deal with so there's always the people who stay the people who leave and the people who are always on the side that wins no matter what side is winning um, there's always those people and so I learned how to navigate um, university politics at a, at a very early age for an academic but my my dissertation was literally a ping-pong ball in the department 
at the at the time because of the fact that I was working on these sorts of topics. And then and so that's just the the subject area, the field of popular culture, or, you know, and then doing masculinity studies and looking at it from a perspective of masculinity. If I wasn't saying bad things about masculinity, and even now, if I don't say enough bad things about masculinity, um, people will look at me and go, hmm, I don't know. Um, and, and so uh, I take a lot of pains to say, look, I'm fully aware that this is problematic and I'll deal with the problematic stuff. In fact, the problematic stuff might be more problematic than you imagine just by picking out everything that's wrong. And if you're telling me everything that's wrong, you're just telling me how things fit. You haven't told me why, you haven't told me how, and you haven't told me how to fix it. And, and so I'm more interested in looking at, at, at the, the sort of how things came to be and why things came to be as opposed to just where things fit. I've never really been a where things fit kind of person. Um, so so it, it's, it's made for, you know, um, challenges, but I always think my work is better. Um, and I've also been able to, you know, maintain that sort of ability to be true to who, who I am because there's also that, that notion like... Um, uh, where I come from, like on my street, there used to be a Chrysler van that came and picked up everybody's dad in the morning to drive them off to the Chrysler plant. Um, that was the sort of reality that I grew up in, you know, and, and um, on the one side of my family, I'm, I'm, you know, the first generation, I didn't even realize this was a thing until I came here. Um, I am the first generation in, on the one side of the family to go, and of 19 grandchildren, my brother and I at one point had half the degrees. Um, and so, uh, my grandfather had all of grade three um, because of the because of the timing of the depression and the war and other things that happened. And so, um, but with that, he was able to provide for nine children and uh, have a farm and, and work at a plant and able to do that. And so that's sort of reality. I don't know if that happens in, in, in 2023, that, that there would be the ability of somebody to do that. Um, but at the same time, I would hope that would never happen. Like I would never, I would hope a child would never be pulled out of school in grade three because of, you know, exigencies that happen that would be that cataclysmic um, at the same time. But it's, that's part of the, that's part of who I am. Like even the idea that I like sports in an English department, like in English, if you, English departments at the time I was doing my, my, my graduate work, I could go on for days about this. But one of the things <laughs> is if, if you were afraid of technology, like you were an actual, honest to goodness, technophobe, join an English department. History would have been number two at the time, um, at least where I went to school. If, if you didn't like sports, <laughs> join an English department. If you didn't like um, things, you know, join an English department. Although I have a, I have a, good, I have a good friend who, um, you know, she's, she's from Montana, but she went to school in Boston. And, uh, you know, she's, she, she's like, she's, a, you know, what we used to call a tomboy. Like she's, she likes all of the sports, right? And like she and I perpetually talk about librarians <laughs> as another group that has zero interest or knowledge and sports and you you know you get in the habit of throwing sports analogies around and then like you're in a group of academics or librarians and or mixed you know and like you just suddenly see the the glaze and people are just not just not hanging with you at all um so then you know for me like it's a lot of fun to like then throw in like pro wrestling analogies which is like mm -hmm. one step farther removed i'm like oh yeah this is totally like bret hart and Shawn michaels and uh, <laughs> just and just watch the just watch the panic it's great yeah absolutely and um there is a documented moment um in my career when i literally 
walked the aisle and it was noted that I did on purpose um, that because of something that had happened uh, on, on campus, I, I, uh, I might have done a thing when I was at another institution um, and my dean was not happy with me. Um, because I had done a thing and um, there was basically a, a, a sexual assault and sexual harassment campaign going on uh, on campus and I reported it and that was not to be done it brought attention and so I was in trouble and um, so I always played before 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 class music and uh, I chose my music carefully and I walked in from the back of the lecture hall. I was like a 300 seat lecture hall and uh, I had you know, I was on the front page of the campus newspaper, which is always bad. Stay out of the student newspaper, whatever you can do. That's, mm -hmm. what, that's, what, that's what I learned that, right? I chose my music accordingly and walked in the lecture hall and everybody's quiet and the music came on. And um, it's possible it might have been Voodoo Child, slight reprise. It possible it might have been that as I walked down the aisle in a 300 seat lecture hall with everybody looking at me knowing like, wow, okay. <laughs> And so um, nice that's what I did. And that entirely came from wrestling. I, I wouldn't have had that moment. I wouldn't have had the wherewithal. I wouldn't have thought of doing that. I wouldn't have thought of how to do that um, if it hadn't been. And it was one of those, you know, sort of those, you know, it's a gut check, you, you know, and where's, where's that, that gut check moment, right? And where did that come from? Like, where have I heard that before? Um, and you got to walk that aisle. And so that's the thing is, you, you know, when you're walking into the, into the classroom, um, you, know, you got to walk that aisle, right? That's awesome. Is that TMI? Is that probably too much information? It's like, no, it's fun. Oh, it's, it's why did we good. bring this guy here? It um, all uh, well, it all, <laughs> it all connects, right? Like it's, it's uh, yeah, it all connects. So maybe a quick right, follow up know. is what what do you wish more academics knew about pro wrestling? It's fun. It's fun. It's 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 legitimate fun. Like it's it's yeah. fun. You'll do all the things. You'll laugh. You'll 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 feel. Oh, hang on. That shouldn't happen. You, 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 you'll feel all the things, right? Um, obviously, there's catharsis. People, people maybe play too much on the catharsis aspect of it. It's not all catharsis, right? Um, if, if, if it was just about catharsis, we wouldn't play video games. Because there's a lot of video games that aren't fun. But we play them. Anyway, you know, is Tetris fun? No, you lose every time. Um, it's, but we still play, right? And there's a reason we, we there's a reason we go and there's a reason we watch. The other thing I would say beyond the fact that it is fun though, but the, but there's different levels of fun is you know there, I, I suppose there's a difference between pleasure and fun, and it's pleasurable, and I mean that in the academic experience and and, and obviously in the in the in the um, the non-academic sense of it's pleasurable, right? It has all of the pleasures, right? So I would say that go to it, do that. And the other thing is if people think less of you for it. Do you really want to know them? Like, really? Do you really want to know them? You know. But then again, I've seen the same thing. You know, like in 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 um, in academics. You know, I I've gone fishing. You know, and that's that's apparently fishing isn't a thing that you know. But I grew up like one of my one of my grandparents and the my 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 father's parents allegedly met partly because one side was really into hunting and fishing, and the other side of the family um, actually was an outfitter and guide. And my, my, my father paid his way through university, partly by working for a local outfitter. Um, so fishing, fishing and hunting are an important part of my family's like history. And I'm French Canadian. Um, you know, hunting and fishing and chopping down trees is involved in that. And so it's like, hang on, you do all those things? Yes, yes, I do all those things. And I didn't die. 
you know, and, 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 and my family still likes me and people still like me and, and, and I still can do good work. And it, it and <clears throat> I don't know, there's this, again, the fetish and taboo, right? The attraction repulsion. And so it, it's, a, it's that same thing of, um, the Northrop Fry critics or scholars and, and fans like the, 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 that was, that was huge when I was, when I was in grad school was the Northrop Fry fandom. And, uh, they would always say, you haven't read enough. You haven't read enough. I go, okay. <laughs> if Northrop Fry wrote something on a bathroom wall, it's in a book, okay? But if I said that to the wrestling people, the people who would, you know, denigrate the fact that I go to wrestling or, or, you know, even tease me about it, like teasing I can take, you know, chirps I can take. But did you, have you seen enough? You know, maybe you just didn't see enough. Maybe you just didn't watch enough. Um, because all these other people are watching and there's a reason they're watching and maybe it's not all bad. And maybe it's not all bad. And that's the, that's the trick to it, is that maybe it's not all bad. Because it, it's really easy when it's, when it's, these, when it's the, the lower cultural things, right? Um, to say, well, that's just bad. That's just bad. Like, you know, uh, it's bad myth. It's bad ideology. It's all these sorts of things. I don't do good and bad. I don't say good and bad. You know, I, I don't run as with my kids. You mentioned my parenting skills, such as they are. And uh, for better, for worse, I don't run a punish house. I run a discipline house. My wife doesn't run a punish house. She runs a discipline house. You know, we are, we are about discipline. How, knowing how to act for the place you are and the people you're around. Discipline. The old school discipline. Discipline and punish are not the same thing. And that's what we fundamentally believe. And wrestling is a discipline. Wrestling is obviously a discipline, right? And so... Knowing how, to, know, knowing how to behave and knowing how to comport yourself uh, for a given scenario. Wrestling is one of those ones you can comport yourself any way you want. I can start, you know, talking about... And, and, and the other thing is, I don't need all the intertext. You don't need every intertext to enjoy it. Do I need, do I need to know the history of pageantry from, from medieval pageantry or Greco-Roman, actual Greco-Roman wrestling to enjoy? No, I don't. I don't need all those intertexts. Makes it better, though. Sure, it makes it richer, but I don't need to. I don't need to. And how many of these other things do you have to be, like how much gatekeeping goes on? We, tell you, we like to talk about gatekeeping as, as one of the, 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 you know, in the parlance of our times to, to cite Lebowski, which is one of my favorite films. Um, so in the parlance of our time, we talk about um, um, gatekeeping. But academia um, sometimes is, is about gatekeeping. Right, and I'm talking to librarians. So you've seen the latest edition of the Norton anthology. You know what gatekeeping is, you know, and um, but it, that's an exercise in gatekeeping in so many different ways. My syllabus, you know, tries to be a not exercise in gatekeeping, but a syllabus can be an exercise in gatekeeping, sure. and, and and that's sort of unfortunate. So when when I, you know, and there's always going to be the the sort of thing on 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 television about. Um, Oh, what's going to be next? Professors are talking about professional wrestling. What's going to be next? How low? And they're going to, you know, but I would, any day of the week, any day of the week, any of those guys doesn't last 10 minutes with me in an actual debate. They don't. They don't. And they wouldn't last 10 minutes with me on the ice. Um, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. Um, and, uh, and, and that's how it is. And, and so, it, like, and that's, that's sort of the environment I grew up in, you know, if it, we're going to do it, we'll do it on the ice or we'll, you know, we'll do it in the classroom. We'll do it in the boardroom. That's fine. I'm, I'm good. 
Either any anyway, I'm good. And we have a we have a picture of you on the ice, so maybe we use that in the uh, promotion <laughs> for the episode because people don't know that you know what you're talking about and you're not fucking around. So it's um, it's really a very similar thing to like comic cons and the whole concept of cosplay. Like there's a whole there's you know there's a whole culture into it, and but then there's the outsiders that are like, ooh, that's that's weird. You know, but then if you ever took them to a comic con and experience the the social welcoming that you get, and like you're just allowed to be yourself, you can be you can be that like transgender Klingon that's also flying the Millennium Falcon. Some somebody's gonna be like, well, you know, you kind of kind of crossing things around there, but it's okay. You know, they'll accept you, and it's the same same thing about pro wrestling like you go to an AEW show or a WWE show and you'll sit down next to someone that is in all aspects polar opposite of you but you can sit there and have a conversation because you both love pro wrestling and you can talk about it and uh, there's there's this welcoming sense of community with it my wife does not like pro wrestling but if I'm sitting down and I'm watching something and she comes into the room and as long as there isn't someone with like a gallon of blood pouring out of their head, <laughs> she'll sit down and watch a little bit with me and even start asking a little bit of questions of like, why are they fighting? Who's that guy? Why is he doing that? Does that really hurt? Like just, just very beginner basic questions about professional wrestling. But, you know, she's getting there. And I think at that VCW show, if she would have come with me, she would have had a blast at that eventually. Like, the first match, she might have been like, well, this is kind of weird. But then once she, like, sees the guy in the front row with the megaphone telling telling LaRue that he sucks constantly, she'd been like, she'd been, well, that's kind of funny. And then, like, realizing that you can scream at the people and, like, they'll talk back to you. And, like, just getting that kind of, like like, visceral reaction, just living in the moment and being able to let go of everything. I mean, that's one of the things that, like, I find professional wrestling a bit of an escape for myself. And that's uh, because, as working as a librarian, there's certain aspects culturally that you're expected to be. Because you're, oh, you're a librarian, you must read a lot. Like, I don't actually read that much. I I don't find reading pleasurable, because I, I do a lot of reading for work, honestly. It's, like, all legalese that I'm reading, and it's just, like... I don't want to read anything. I want to go home, sit on my butt, and watch Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the Giant. That's that's what I want to see. I want to see two meaty men slapping each other around, and that's that's what I need right now. Uh, and you know, I listen to heavy metal music on occasion. I also like Broadway musicals, and like all of these things have gatekeepers, and they have you know barriers between them, and they're all things that, as a male librarian, I'm probably not supposed to like. But, you know, I like them, especially being a classically trained trumpet player. I'm not really supposed to like a lot of that stuff. So I get it. And I think that's that's honestly just get the pull out of your ass and come to uh, come to an indie wrestling show and uh, let yourself down. Wear a T-shirt. It'll be fun, please. I mean, I don't know how you could watch a match with a six foot four man wearing a boar mask and furry boots and not just immediately become a fan. <laughs> like just immediately. Just like And just chant his name over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah. Boar. 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 Like it's just 
It's ridiculous. It's if you're not absolute. if if you're not down with that, you might as well just again just get in the box, like because it's all over for you. Well, and and the number of times my my fifteen year old turns and says, "Oh, I want those tights," or my my wife turns <laughs> and, and looks at me and she says, "Ooh, I want I, I want those leggings. Why haven't you bought me those leggings?" And I was like, "But okay, okay." Let's do it. And so there's something like there's something for everybody. And and it's yeah, I absolutely I, I couldn't concur more. Like there's there's times like I don't wanna think about all the sorts of stuff I have to think about in, in, in terms of the, the day to day job. I wanna actually enjoy myself. I wanna see some some enjoyment. And um you know, it's like, you know, I, I video games, uh I play hockey, I, I grew up playing hockey and, and, and sports and stuff like that. Um my dad was a coach. Uh and um, so I grew up, I was seven days old the first time I was in a gym. Uh, and because, because of the era that was like my, uh, the, if you were the basketball coach you, or the football coach, you didn't have to supervise after school dances and concerts, but you also got in free. So a lot of basketball games were on Friday nights. And so we'd be in the gym and the concert would be setting up. And so legit, I, I, a little four, four year old me, five year old me, I saw Rush, I saw Earth, Wind & Fire, I saw all kinds of groups because that was where they played, was they played the big high schools. And so the, the gym at the school where my dad taught and coached was, I had a 3,000 seat gym. And so that was where these bands played. And so, but I can still fall asleep in a gym is the moral of the story. I get up on those bleachers and I can fall asleep. <laughs> if, if you had let me sit in the bleachers at the, at where they had the, the thing in the ODU, uh, the vo volleyball gym, I'd have been asleep. I get so comfortable on bleachers to this day. It's it's not a problem. Um, I could sit in a, in a baseball game and I'm I'm just like at home. That's like one of the most at home things. A big you know tub of nachos and and a big 44 ounce tub of beverage and um, that's like that's home. Like that feels like home, right? And and we need those moments. What's what's absolutely what's what's wrong with those moments, right? Um, and so there's so many different ways that we 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 keep ourselves out that's the other thing it's one of the big things that i, I look at like one of the concepts that i teach uh, it's one of the toughest concepts i teach is the idea of the the ways different groups compete for dominance in culture and they do that through consent and so many of the different ways uh the can we we give consent like every time we swipe our bank card we've just consented we've just said i, I agree um and there's so many um, ways also that we 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 learn to keep ourselves out that's not for me or the, the other way is to, is that we learn um i don't like it therefore it must be bad um and a lot of things in our culture reinforce that if i don't like it it must be bad or i've been told it's not for me it must be bad and um for me uh this is one of those things where in grad school i, I guess i was lucky um i had that moment and the moment for me this doesn't have anything to do with mar uh, with wrestling. Actually, it's it's I always do, I, I I tell my grad students this one. I haven't told this crop of grad students this story, but it's a true story. Um, it's it's the I call it the Margaret Atwood moment where I was sitting in class and we were reading a, a Margaret Atwood novel, and the next Margaret Atwood novel I enjoy will still be the first, which is probably the most un-Canadian thing I've said. And, but if you ask me, like, and she's sacrosanct uh, as well, although, although she's, a, she's a rather controversial figure because she, she occasionally, you know, she speaks her mind and she comes down sometimes on sides that are surprising. And I give her a lot of credit for that. And as an essayist, she's absolutely brilliant. 
There is no doubt she is absolutely brilliant. And her ability to put words on a page is brilliant. Like we are lucky to be living in a time when this woman is writing. Like she is, she is absolutely brilliant. And the, the, the Nobel Prize not going to her yet is a crime. But I asked me if I like it. No, not really. I don't. But can I tell you why it's brilliant? Every, every which way. And I think that's an important skill that we've lost is the ability to, to genuinely appreciate something for what it is. Like, and, and Ric Flair says it. He says, we either like it or don't like it. Sit down and look at it because it's the best thing going today. That's a Ric Flair quote. I can rattle those off. But it's true. And, and, and that's, that's the thing that I think resonates about having that ability to, to enjoy something or appreciate something. Again, that goes back to that notion of all of the pleasures. Like, can we appreciate the yeah. artist? creativity like i don't get figure skating my wife's a figure skater really good figure skater competitive figure skater has all of the stuff to teach figure skating at the highest level um and i can tell you why it is physically demanding i can tell you why it's terrifying to me there is nothing more terrifying than synchronized skating like you want to watch something that's legitimately terrifying because the only thing between um the skater and um really sharp blades is a pair of tights um you know, uh, that that's terrifying. And I can tell you why that is incredibly demanding, incredibly athletic. Um, and I can appreciate it, all of the skill and artistry and talent that goes into it and all of the athleticism. You don't have to bash somebody over the head to do, to be skillful and athletic and, art, and, and artistic and all those sorts of things, right? Why it's wonderful, but you know, I'll never be a figure skater, right? And, and, and so I think we need to learn that skill uh, we, and we need to learn that skill earlier in life. And I think that's why a lot of our, our academic colleagues might say, well, you watch wrestling. It's all just men in their underwear fighting. Okay, great. You've never watched wrestling. That's it. I had a friend in high school that was absolutely obsessed with the movie Johnny Mnemonic. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that. It was kind of like a poor man's matrix kind of thing. And it, 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 I watched it. I thought it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen in my life. She, but she had the backpack, she had the pencil box, she had the binder trapper keeper thing that was like all Johnny Mnemonic. She had, she just loved that movie, not talked about it nonstop. It was her favorite movie. And that was the moment that I realized that everything out there that's created is someone's favorite thing. And so you might not like it, but someone else does. And that's, totally they're right and you should you just need to back off of it you can you can you can poke fun at them a little bit oh you're like ah you know that's you know but you know you can't be like well you're a horrible person because you like johnny mnemonic i think it's more interesting to ask like when if you legitimately don't understand it i think it's more interesting and it makes you a more interesting person to and a more empathetic person to ask you know what is it i don't get it but tell me what it is that you love so much about it you know and if um some of these people that said oh you know wrestling's fake instead sort of flipped that around and said oh i don't really understand it can you tell me what it is you love about it i think all three of us would have very different but maybe some similar answers um that would be far more enlightening than just like huh, 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 wrestling's dumb um i mean johnny mnemonic was written by uh isn't that a william gibson one it's like uh father of cyberpunk uh he wrote what else did he, he wrote a bunch of stuff right like kind of a big deal like yeah maybe that movie is for shit but like there's there's something there right like um i don't get figure skating either i, I love tennis figure skating. i feel the way 
<laughs> I feel the way about tennis. Tennis, I understand, you know, and um, David Foster Wallace's uh, mm-hmm. writings about tennis have helped me to understand, like, just how insanely hard it is. I'm not going to sit down and watch tennis. It doesn't do anything for me. No. I, I get it. I, I I see where he's coming from. Couldn't give two shits, but, like... If I met somebody who was like super into tennis, tell me, you know, tell me what it is that you like about that, right? So anyway, I think it's, uh, I think it's um, maybe a lack of curiosity that people, that people have, or maybe, um, maybe there's just too many choices, like you said about uh, Douglas Copeland, you know, just nope. too many choices, and so you, you, you pick to just shit on whatever it is. <laughs> you know, Tim, I'm going to take you back to library school and Raganathan's Laws. You know, every book it's reader, and every reader it's book. That's right. You know. <laughs> It's for everybody. Something there's something for everybody. So there's somebody out there reading the Left Behind series. It ain't me. Oh. Well, anyway, it's getting it's getting late, you guys. We should yeah. probably um where do how do you want to wrap up, Rich? I, you, I think we just need to, to uh I think we just need to know uh who is your favorite wrestler of all time and your favorite wrestler current that's currently operating. Oh, okay. Well see like obviously Obviously, Flair is like a huge, a huge icon and legend, and and just the the, the, the some of the like the forty five minute hour long matches um, mm-hmm. that were legit matches, um, just so so overwhelmingly impressive, um, and the, the consistency uh, for most of his career, and and I think some of the, the like the one that people forget is the Flair Steamboat um, stuff, and that's like. I mean, how good is that? Um, They're incredible. Uh, and I say that having seen like an early Randy Macho Man Savage when he was starting out as the as the Macho Man. So I remember him when he was relatively skinny, um, but doing the the off the top rope type stuff. And so, um, you know, I, but Flair I think is probably the top. Not that it's for the for the absolute for the wrestling, and then sort of for the, the like the Four Horsemen era and the and just the top of the game and that sort of stuff. But um, the Sheik also holds like a special place because just because of the, this, the absolute nastiness and the and the absolute like bizarre like um, it, like break every single rule and and having no no regard for the rules and the ability to stay with kayfabe um, you know for for so long um, and and that strict adherence to kayfabe there is and and I, and I do have vague memories of the Sheik when he actually you know, did moves and didn't just come out and throw fire at people and pull a pencil out of his, out of his trunks and hit people. Although that was always one of the things was, you know, is he, is, is, is this the day, you know, is this the time, is he going to go to the trunks, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I would say those are the top two, but, um, obviously in terms of wrestling, um, the skill and everything, the skillfulness, Bret Hart is obviously up there. So I, I, it's a sort of a, I would I would have like a a Rushmore sort of of, of yeah. wrestlers and uh, currently current favorite wrestler operating today I would say I wouldn't have one. Um, I've been away from wrestling the uh, mm. sort of the there was a the, the 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 era just before the current one there was a lot of stuff where I was just like um, nah that guy's getting a push he doesn't deserve nah that guy's getting a push he doesn't deserve nah that guy's getting a push he does okay. Oh, when did John Cena change his hairstyle? Is this what John Cena is calling himself today? Um, when did John Cena change his character again? Okay, so why is John C- Cena getting... Oh, that's not John Cena? 
come on, that's John Cena. And and I am the guy who who is like famously with my students. Uh, I've said that you know the 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 person who played Harry Potter was also the same person who played. Um, uh, Frodo Baggins in the, in the Hobbit movies, and they said, "No, it's not. It's two different." I was like, "No, it's not. That's the same guy. It's the same guy." Uh, I'm a professional with 20 years in. I know. I know these things. It's the same guy. And so, like, too many WWE, just like, "Wow, okay, another John Cena clone, another John Cena clone, another John Cena clone, another John Cena clone." No, that's an undeserved yeah. push. Um, and so, uh, uh, I don't want to belabor my point. I'll let Vince McMahon belabor my point. Um, the uh, so, but I really, I, I mean, I mentioned it before. I, I mentioned them before. I, I, I have like, I really like Effie. I really like Lady Frost. Uh, shout out to them. And um, I, I also um, some of the VCW talent is 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 pretty good, and it's hard not to like those guys. Yeah, they got some uh, got some good folks working. Um, Lady Frost just did an appearance on AEW a few weeks back. Rich, did you catch that one? I did she not. Did, uh... She uh, she came out and wrestled one of the you know she was sort of a she kind of was jobbing for one of the stars, um, but I thought it was a cool name. I hadn't seen her before, so you said she's out of Florida. That's where I got sort of um, became. That's what I became familiar with. Yeah, so very cool, very cool. Very There's cool. some very cool stuff going on in the indie circuits. I think you know. Also, I was I was like um, Jeff Jarrett. I always thought uh, Jeff Jarrett was. Um, underrated. I was, I was like him. Double J. <laughs> mm. Mm. Hot take. Mm. Hot take. Uh oh. All right. Shows. No. Shows over. Shows over. <laughs> all right. We're deleting this whole oh, thing. It's okay. all done. No, no. Okay. No. No. You're, like I no, said, actually, you're allowed have... to wait. Allowed to like who you like, and he's having <laughs> a great. He's having a great resurgence on AEW right now. Honestly. Yeah. Agreed. Don't yuck somebody's yum. Right. Right. Even if it's Double J. I actually appreciate the older guys who can still come out and still get down. You know, like Double J is one. Uh, Billy Gunn is another. Um, you know, some of these guys that can still do it. Sting is pushing uh, 60. So, yeah. And, like, he's uh, he's still at least entertaining on the screen, you know. Yeah. So that's really all that matters. Well, yeah, I was, yeah. I was shocked to find out the um, uh, Edge and Christian – are like pushing 50 now i was kind of shy i was like oh i'm getting old edge looks it but christian doesn't christian's having a he's having a great run on AEW right now he's been doing some really great work as a heel dr uh dr mark the bullet sponge (laughs) uh it has been a pleasure to talk with you we thank you so much for being on the show we really have appreciated your insights and uh and thank you for sharing all that with us um we hope you'll hope you'll come back and do this again i think we could talk about kayfabe for a whole two hours next time maybe um that's that's the one to me that is like the most endlessly fascinating aspect of all of this so maybe that's a future future show topic what do you think deal you'd really have me back absolutely oh yeah mission accomplished oh okay because really i like i said i can empty a room in no time it's just like (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) well this is this has been awesome i we really appreciate you being on here um you can find us at all the wrestlemanias.com of course and check out all of our our recent episodes we did one on an awa show uh that was absolutely bananas make sure you check that one out we're hoping to have the director of operations for vcw jerry stefanitsis here on uh hopefully on our next episode that'll be 
sort of time to coincide with the uh, VCW Liberty Liberty Lottery Show here in Norfolk. Liberty, uh, Liberty. And of course, we've that's all I think about when I hear that show. Liberty Liberty, 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 Liberty. And of course, we've always got great wrestling to watch and talk about, and, and sometimes we got not so great wrestling to watch and talk about. Yeah. Um, find us at at WrestleMania Pod on Twitter. Of course, on all the usual socials on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest. If you'd like to contribute to the show, it's ko-fi.com slash all the WrestleManias. You can drop us five bucks for the cost of a cup of coffee. That way we can uh, do kickbacks to our guests uh, and buy, uh, you know, fancy new microphones to keep this amazing, immaculate sound quality up. Um, I could use some new headphones. So, uh, you know, five bucks, it's, it's not that much. Yeah. Uh, Rich, anything else before we wrap up for today? Mm, no. <laughs> well, with that, I'm your co-host, Tim. And I'm Rich. And we'll see you next time.